hard time with this one. It's not that I don't have a hard time with the Bible, but this one kind of hit me personally and hit me a little bit sideways. And I didn't expect it. And frankly, like I almost abandoned uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9. Sometimes I abandon a sermon because God tells me to. Because I had some brilliant idea that I wanted to pontificate on and drop some knowledge on you guys. And the Lord says, no, you shouldn't talk about that. You should talk about what I want you to talk about. So that happens. But no, not this time. This time, I, like the Lord wanted me to do chapter 8 and chapter 9, but I didn't want to do it. And I'll, I'll, you'll see why in a minute. But uh, let's go ahead and look at it real quick. We're going to jump around a little, a little bit. We're not going to go in chronological order because I have a little bit of honoriness in me. Matthew chapter 8. And we are going to start off on verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him, and he said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes. Let me, let me rephrase this. So Jesus comes down from the Mount of Olives. He begins this really rapid-fire uh, Holy Ghost kingdom ministry thing. Like So before he was teaching... And now he's actually really getting into the stuff. We, we, we see he's healing everybody. The amazing thing about 8 and 9, it's just like, it's like an action movie. It is one healing after another healing, one encounter after another encounter. Like, it's like Rambo for Bible. Rambo, I just dated myself. It's like the Transformers, because every moment, every moment in the story has an, is, is action-packed. So he comes down off the mountain, Mount Olives, begins this, this active ministry lifestyle, and, um, like, people are really curious. So this is the first one. This is the teacher of the law. So this is, your, this is your professor. This is your intellect. This is your guy that went to seminary. And he says, I am so captivated by what's going on. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, really? Really? Foxes have holes. But the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. So basically what Jesus is saying is, you think you want to follow me, and I'm telling you right now, it's going to be very difficult. The next one. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Then Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So it's very similar, but there's a little bit of a nuance in this one. The nuance is the disciple comes to him and says, I, I, I want to follow you too. But first, let me take care of, of some business. Because my life ain't quite right yet in order for me to, to follow you. And Jesus responds, really? You want to follow me? You need to let the dead bury their own dead. We do this. How does this apply to us today? We do it all the time. It comes. It looks like this. Um, some t have you ever like felt like you didn't want to come to church because you partied all week long? <laughs> or is that just Pastor Josh? 
I don't do that anymore. Um, but no, I'm serious. Have you ever like just felt like, you know, I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel like I can actually go to church today. Or like, I've got this issue in my life that I haven't taken care of yet, so therefore I, maybe I shouldn't engage God. Or when I get my act together, then I can go and, and, and worship God. Once I begin to work on my, my, my moral character, then I can go and hang out with God. And, and so but that's just what Jesus is saying is, no, you just let that. That's dead and let it be dead. And don't worry about that. Come and follow me. If we're always trying to get ourselves right before we go into God's presence or into God's church or even into what God is calling you to do, if you have this lie in your head that says you have to be perfect in order to do what God has told you to do, just listen to what Jesus says. Stop it. Okay, next one. This is verse, uh, let's go. All right, I'm going to leave it at those two. Back up to chapter 8, verse 1. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. And he says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. And when Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but you go present yourself to the priests and offer the gift of Moses uh, that Moses commanded as a testimony. Now, what we're seeing here is we're seeing people coming and engaging Jesus. Uh, he, he is in the crowd. He is with the people. But we're seeing people attracted to what Jesus says. And some get breakthrough and some don't. And I want to know why. So the man with leprosy, like he had a contagious skin disease. You're familiar with leprosy. Like it's highly contagious. Nobody wants to touch him. I mean, the very fact that he is in the crowd with everybody else should be freaking everybody out. It probably did. And the, the amazing thing about their response is that Jesus physically touches the man with the contagious skin disease. They actually had Levitical law about this contagious skin disease. And it says, if you get it, you're done for. And you get locked away. And the only way, and this is fascinating, and I don't think we have any, we do have an instance of it, uh, Naaman. Uh, not a whole lot of healings listed in the Old Testament of a healing of the skin disease. But it does say that only God can heal this disease. All other ailments, maybe a doctor can take care of it. But as far as they're concerned, in their, in their context, only God can heal this disease. You see why this is important? Because Jesus heals him. So right then and there, he's making a very powerful statement that says, I, Jesus, I am God. And the reason why he defers him to Moses, that refers him to the priest and the law of Moses, is because basically he's saying, I am Messiah. We really miss that nuance. He's saying, and to push it out into the metaphor, everybody has sickness inside of them called sin. And when we get touched by Jesus, we get clean. 
we get purified. We get healed up. And so that is what is being illustrated. Now, let's talk about more of these encounters with Jesus in the area of healing. Uh, and this is probably what's hitting me sideways. There is a desire from the leper to be healed. And he says, if you're willing. Does that show a bit of faith? The leper, one, left his colony and pursued Jesus. Two, knew that it could happen. And he's basically saying, Jesus, is it, if it's your will, I'll be healed. Isn't that cool? See, there's a level of faith there that a lot of us, we don't get, and we, we, it's a hard, hard time uh, to, just to get it to roll around in our head. But he heals this unclean person. The next person, again, this is a rapid-fire encounter with God and an encounter with Jesus. The next, the next person that Jesus encounters is the pagan. We're not sure if the leper was a pagan or not. We don't know. Could have been a Jewish guy. It seemed like he was a Jewish guy because he gets referred to to go to see the priest. But the next guy is the centurion. The centurion is, he's the bad guy. He is the invader. He is the oppressor. And he says something that honestly shocks Jesus. I'm not quite sure how we can shock Jesus, but he does. When Jesus, this is uh, verse 5, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just the, say the word, to say that word, to speak it out right here and right now, and my servant will be healed. And when Jesus heard this, this is verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and he said to all those following him, I tell you the truth, I have, found, uh, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that, Many will come from the east and to the west, and they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now we get, again, we get somebody that approaches Jesus on the basis of faith, but he does something else that's a little bit different too. He approaches Jesus with the knowledge of authority. When Jesus taught up the Mount of Olives, he begins to establish his authority. He begins to teach in ways that is completely captivating people, and he earned incredible amounts of reputation and status just by his teaching. He gained his authority by the knowledge of the word of God that he had down inside of him. And now we're seeing a display, a visible display of power. And the centurion picks up on authority, and it gets manifested in power. So when we begin to walk out our spiritual lives, when we begin to grow in the things of the Spirit, one, we obviously we need to, we know theologically, intellectually, we know that Jesus has all authority. And we know that he has all power. 
What does that mean for us practically? If we are Christians, and the definition of Christian is little Christ, that means we have the opportunity, the invitation, the calling to walk in his authority, and yes, and even in his power. A lot of us have the authority. Some of us, and when I say us, we'll just say the American church in general, like we got the authority down. We got our theology nailed down. I mean, of course, there's everybody, they have little disagreements and what, you know, denominational differences and, and all these little theological fights that we like to spend way too much time in and trying to iron out the minutia of authority when, in fact, Jesus just wants us to walk in power. He would love to see a display of power hand in hand with our knowledge of the authority of God. And so again, we begin to see it. The, the centurion picks up on it. Authority and power. And Jesus says, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Verse 16. When evening came, many were demon-possessed, were brought to him. And he drove out the spirit with a lot of shenanigans and Bible study and method and maybe some pills. Uh, This is probably one of the most powerful displays of authority that we see Jesus do it. How, what is Jesus's deliverance model? When I say it, for those of you that don't know, the deliverance model, what deliverance ministries, people that, that, that are gifted in practice, um, relieving people from evil oppression or evil spirits or demonic oppression. Uh, it's real. It's real. I mean, I hope I don't freak anybody out. I mean, if we're okay saying that Jesus and angels are real, we do it all day long during Christmas time. Uh, but once you start talking about the demonic, people get really uncomfortable and they don't believe the devil exists. And that is seeped into our collective conscious. Like, I don't know about, I don't know about this. I don't know about evil spirits. No, they, they do exist. Um, is this individual, does, it have, does this person have mental illness? No, I don't believe so. Because the Bible is very clear. When Jesus does heal, he will heal people that have um, uh, epilepsy. And they're not possessed. And there's a distinction between the two. Isn't that interesting? He will heal people that have seizures. And then he goes and heals another person that's possessed. He makes the distinction. It's very fascinating. Jesus heals this person possessed by an evil spirit, with one word. One word. Like, that's the model I want. I want Jesus' model. Again, like, this is, you guys okay talking about this kind of stuff? Because it's real. And, you know, an occasion, um, I'll I'll, I'll do it for you, I don't mind. But occasionally people will, will call us, over to the house to pray for the house, anoint the house. Um, 
You know, they just feel like something is wonky in the house, and we'll do it. But do you know what? You can do it too. Like, you don't need the fancy preacher to come to your house and anoint it with oil. Like, you, you are the priest of your own house. You can do it yourself. And you can do it with a word. Uh, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Some of you have evil forces in your house. It's not the toddler. It's not your mother-in-law. No, they're there. And they need, not the toddler, not the mother-in-law. Like, a, like a, an evil stronghold. I'm not saying you got like full-blown like ghosts in your house. Maybe you do. But maybe there is a generational sin, a generational curse or something there. And, and you know it. And maybe it's in a particular room. Oh, my gosh. Husbands, like, step up to the plate and take care of the sucker. Just do it with a word, with the authority that has been given to you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Just take care of it. Get her done. You can do it. You really can. You have been given power, and you have been given authority over evil. I'll paraphrase this one. Jesus is in the boat. Same, same chapter. Jesus is in the boat. And um, he's on his way over. He takes a nap. Big storm comes. Everybody starts freaking out, right? Storms of life will come in your way. Like it, it happens all the time. Storms will come. Storms will hit you like a ton of bricks. Our natural reaction to stress is to freak out, is to lose it. It's to fall apart. It's to call out and say, God, where are you? Like, honestly, that's the temptation, right? One of the things that the Lord is teaching me personally in this season um, is that temptation is multi-layered and multifaceted. So, you know, where I was in my 20s, I might have been, you know, tempted by ladies or whatever, right? Uh, now my temptation is in faith. Now my temptation is how do I respond in critical moments? Do I let the critical spirit come out and take control? Do I let my, you know, when I, you know, the fleshly nature isn't just, you know, sexual. The fleshly nature can be like, I'm mad and I want my way and I want it my way right now. So we have to be mindful of that. And so um, do, do you know how you combat any temptation, whether it is sexual, whether it is greed, whether it is um, your own emotional baggage, whether it is lack of faith. You know that lack of faith is a, is a test of temptation? Do you know what the, you know what the antidote is it, of that is? It's not just to grind down and say, I resist, Right? It's not that. We learned about this last week. It's not like, I resist in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Like, that only goes so far. Do you want to know what the antidote is to the lack of faith and, or to temptation or all the stuff that we deal with? 
But we talked about last week, it is seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things will be added unto you. In the moment of crisis, you seek first heaven. Seek first like a a divine breakthrough, a miracle. Like, God, what are you going to teach me in this? Like, if you get tempted, let's just say, let's just say you are in an environment and you, you do get tempted sexually. Do you know why that's happening? It's not happening because you're a bozo. It, it, it's literally happening because there is a divine opportunity there and the enemy of God wants to see you fail and not fulfill. So instead of trying to push against the temptation, say, God, where's the miracle in this situation? Like, like to me into the moment right now. Like, kingdom first. Seek first God and his kingdom. God, where's the miracle in this situation? Where's the breakthrough? Like, who do I need to witness to in this moment? Because that's usually what's going on. So everybody's freaking out in the boat. Jesus comes to, and he rebukes the storm, nature itself. Very strange. Like it blows the guys away. It's like, oh my gosh, he, he even speaks to nature itself and nature obeys him. It is so cool. And then Jesus like gives them a tongue lashing. Oh, you have a little faith. But again, it is that authority that he speaks into power. He says, we rebuke the storm and then it was instantly stilled. Uh, Dad, help me out here. Was the storm evil or not? Was there some, was a demonic force in the storm? Or is this an act of nature? I couldn't find it. Yeah. I looked into it. Like, bad things happen. Natural disasters happen. Is it, is it evil? I don't know. Like, again, if, it, if, it's, if you're losing money, if you lose your house, it's, it, it, feel, it certainly feels evil, doesn't it? We, we have the authority to speak life and restoration and protection into each and every situation. Do you see it? What would have happened if Jesus would have woken up and there's a storm and he freaked out? Oh, my gosh, we're going to die. <laughs> what, what would have happened? They would, all, they would have died. We wouldn't be sitting here preaching today. Okay, so how many moments, how many trials, how many tribulations, how many temptations have we freaked out over instead of just aligning ourselves to the authority that God has given us and just speaking a word and bringing in peace and calm? Peace and calm is what Jesus wants in your life. He wants it in your life. He's more interested in peace and calm in your life than you are. I think so. Think about that one for a second. If Jesus is offering you peace in your life, calmness in the storm, he does it with every sick person that he heals. Do you want to be healed? We, we say that. We say, oh, yeah, but do we really mean it? Jesus wasn't, he wasn't asking. I mean, he, he was asking for a reason. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? Some of us don't. 
because our identity is tied up into our ailment. We like the attention, right? Some of us don't want the peace of God in our life because we thrive on drama. I had a pastor friend of mine that even confessed that to me. He's like, man, I don't know, what, I don't know what's the matter with me, but I thrive in conflict. It's like, I'll go into a board meeting and just, to stir the pot because I can. We do that because life gets boring. (laughs) So we like stir the pot. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, it's peacekeepers, for they shall inherit the earth, not those that like to mix it up with drama. All right, you guys doing okay? Now let's talk to what let's talk to you about why I didn't want to do this message. This is chapter nine. Um, we'll be this is I'll be focusing on this one second service. Chapter nine, verse twenty. Oh, we'll start verse eighteen. While he was saying this, a ruler came to him and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. Come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Again, we see somebody approaching Jesus with an incredible amount of faith. Just then... A woman had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She came up behind him. It is the throng of people. Like, they're in a big, giant crowd. They're in, like, it's like a subway. It's like Disneyland. Like, there's people everywhere. You're getting claustrophobic because all these bodies are pushing up against you, right? So everybody's touching Jesus at this moment. This woman pushed her way, snuck up behind him, and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned to her and saw, said, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Mark, Gospel Mark says that, Uh, when the woman came up and touched the hem of his garment, he actually felt power. We've been talking about authority, we've been talking about power. He said he felt the power come out of his body because this woman touched him. I don't understand that. I don't have a theology for it. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. This is what the Word of God says. Like, she tapped his power. What? And she didn't even get permission to do so. Like, she didn't even ask this time. All right, so why, 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 why is this message so hard for me? It's because I have a daughter in a wheelchair. And I'm reading that Jesus is willing. And that he is able. And that he has all power. And that he has all authority. She wasn't born in a wheelchair. Like, she went down six months ago. 
like instantly. And we don't even we still don't even have all the answers as to why her legs don't work properly. I was like, Lord, I don't want to do this one. And in, in chapter eight and chapter nine, he heals other little girls too. As far as I know, there's no like I'm not like hiding any horrible sin. It's just the usual ornery stuff. So I don't think it's that. I know my daughter hasn't done anything naughty. She didn't deserve this. So, Lord, why haven't you healed her? Like, I have faith for this stuff. I believe it. And we're seeing it manifest. We're seeing the power of God manifest in our church on a weekly basis. I don't know if we're getting numb to it, but I'm telling you, it's happening all the time. Uh, Renee, just tell, tell everybody real quick what just happened with you this week. Amen. Thank you, Renee, and praise God. So, like, I, okay, so I have a I have a decision to make right here in this time in this moment. Like, I can continue just to, to you know be angry at God about not healing my daughter, or I can celebrate Renee publicly. I got to be focused on what God is doing, and He's doing that. Why isn't He healing my daughter? I don't know, and I just have to give it to the Lord. I don't know, I, I, I haven't really checked how many times God's healed my physical body, but it's been a lot. I'm like, just give it to my daughter. I don't know everybody. I really don't know this stuff. All that I do know is that God is good. And all that I do know is that I can't let my personal experience dictate what my theology is, because I just read to you what our, what our theology is. Jesus is good, he is willing, and he is able to heal. There's something about this area. I believe this. This is again. This gets into my theology. You might, you might not agree. Um, I believe that everyone is chosen. All humanity is chosen. There's other preachers that don't believe that. I believe that everyone is chosen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It, in any other scripture, it is God's will that everyone comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, in my opinion, absolutely everyone is chosen by God to enter into his kingdom for eternity. It's very clear to me. That's how, that's how I see it. Again, people are going to disagree. But then there is called. Everyone is chosen. But not everybody is, everybody's called to a certain degree, but not everybody is called the way that Matthew was called. The two guys that we opened up with, the guys that wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus is like, really? It's going to cost you something. Are you sure? Like, 
I don't have a place to put my, I don't have a pillow to put my head on right now. So do you really want to do this? And the other guy says, I got to take care of my business. I can't follow you until I take care of all my business. And she's like, really? And then Matthew, he's definitely chosen by God, but there was a calling on God where there was something about Matthew, the tax collector. Like they were bad back then too, by the way. The tax collector. There was something where Jesus called him gently into ministry and into this lifestyle and into healing. And then we see the centurion push his way in and believing by faith that only a word that, that happens uh, remotely is going to heal his, his servant girl. The guy that has the dead daughter is like, come and touch her and you will heal her. And so there is this thing where the gospel is presented with people and they think about it. There's this other thing where people just push into God's presence, whether they're a part of the family or not, right? And then there is this um, persistent widow attitude that's just going to elbow your way into, into a healing presence of God and, and you're going to just you know, make the dive and touch the hem of the garment and draw on Jesus' power. Like, there is no formula to any of this stuff. This rapid-fire kingdom expression. He's going to move in different ways at different times, and it never looks the same. God's a very creative God. He doesn't like formulas, per se. He likes order, but he doesn't like formulas. Be open to what God is doing. When it feels like this boat is sinking, say, God, I choose not to freak out. I choose to take the authority and the power of Jesus Christ and to deliver this situation with a word, with a word. All right, let me get the ushers and the band to come to the front. So, um, how am I doing with my daughter thing? I'm going to be transparent. It's not easy. Like, again, I wrestled with the Lord about this one all week long. I didn't want to do it. I have to like embrace my emotions and my pain and my struggle during the situation. I don't get it. And I don't know who I heard say this. I just have to put it on the shelf. You know, my mind is like, oh, let's just, and most guys are this way, by the way. Let's just solve this problem, right? Let's just work the problem, let's solve the problem. And I just can't, I can't solve it. And so I put it on the shelf. I put my faith in God. I put my faith in the theology of God that says God is good all the time. God is love. He gave. He is willing. And he is able. And these are the things that I lean into. And I choose to be the persistent widow. And I choose to be the woman with the issue of blood that is going to push an elbow through the crowd and fight for my healing. It's been the attitude of my heart all day long. And I'm going to fight for my kids' healings. So if you've got kids... This is a very important season that we're moving into our church. I've got a big heart for kids right now. And moms and dads, you have to, you've got to put your, your I mean, not in, not in a bad way, but put your kids on a pedestal and, and believe in them and, and teach them and empower them with the things of the Spirit. Give them the tools that they need to fight in this present evil age. They're going to need it. They're going to need it. They're going to need it. They're going to need to seek first the kingdom of heaven because their problems are going to be bigger than our problems.
Their storms are going to be deeper than our storms. But we can do it. We can be a great church family. All right, let's pray. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, right now, I just pray that your spirit would just continue to come and just to flood into this place. And I just pray that you'll touch each and every person here. Those that are dealing with heartbreak towards you because they haven't received a healing or an answer of prayer that they, they've been praying for. And some of them have been praying and petitioning the Lord for years. God, I pray that you just protect our heart, God. I pray that our hearts won't turn into a heart of stone, but you just remain in our hearts and, and, and keep them soft and pliable. We will have a heart of flesh. God, I pray right now we'll be able to walk that line of the persistent widow that is, that is going to continue to ask and is going to continue to fight, is going to continue just to lean into God's presence. God, help us to, to have that attitude, but don't let it transform into a bitter attitude, Lord. Keep a, a dialogue between us, Lord. God, I pray right now that we won't shut off our communication towards you. We know that you are always speaking towards us. God, I pray you won't shut off your speaking, that we won't shut off our speaking towards you. So heal us, God. Heal my kid in the name of Jesus. Everybody else that is struggling with healing, God, heal them in the name of Jesus. For those that are struggling with loss, financial loss, relational loss, and, and some of it is like a literal attack from the enemy of God, we say no. That is our one word, no, with power and authority. We can't take what God has given us. We pray for this breakthrough in your name, Lord Jesus. Pray you bless this offering to its fullest extent. I pray right now that you give us the resources, the financial resources to finish off all of our building projects and to feed our orphans and to do all the other great things that you've called this church to do. We pray this in your name. Amen.